All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I'm joined, as always, by my magnificent co-host, Mark. <laughs> Mark uh, I don't know if I can live up to that one, Michael, um, <laughs> but uh, I, 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 will, I will do the quick sock reveal. Uh, I, don't know if, I don't think we're going to talk much about macro, I mean, uh, about you know, crypto today, but we might. So I have the uh, Bitcoin wizard, join us, magic internet money, socks on. I got the uh, you know, Bitcoin orange pants on for Bitcoin Friday. But um, it's like the least interesting story of all the macro stories this week. I mean, we got to go into the metaverse and talk about meta um, hmm. and the craziness around that. We got to talk about, you know, j who, you know, it's so funny. He thinks he's Jerome, clearly thinks he's Jerome. The market is like, no, 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 J, the letter J, the pusher is back. I mean, it's... It's insane. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Animal spirits, baby. So, so you know, this was a big week of economic releases. Um, and m- maybe the most important of which it wasn't necessarily a release, but we had the FOMC on on Wednesday. And for those of you who, who listened to the interview portion of this week, we did a, a nice kind of in-depth breakdown with, with Jim Bianco and, and Jack Farley. So, uh, but Mark, I still want to, I want to get your opinion here. Uh, so we had, you know, just to give the, the cursory sort of overview and summary, you know, we got the 25 basis points that we were expecting. Uh, Jay, you know, sort of continually again referenced this, this new, this three month old metric, right, which is core uh, core excluding housing services, right? Which they're trying to, ex- you know, which, you know, to their credit, they're trying to yeah. see through the noise and some of the more volatile, bumpy measures of CPI. And they're trying to get a sense of how sticky this is. And uh, so they're trying, now they're excluding uh, housing services as well, which is that lagging component, which is going to sort of plague CPI. M- Mark, wh- what do you it's think? It's just, it, no, it's comical. It's like, I, I say this all the time that, you know, mm-hmm. sitting down, I'm 6'3", but when I stand up, I'm just under six foot because I have no legs. So X legs being short, I'm a really tall guy. It's just such nonsense. For you know, First, it was X food and energy. And I was like, oh, geez, well, this, this shelter piece is kind of volatile now. It's not supposed to be volatile. We kind of engineered it to not be volatile over the last 20 years by turning it into owner's equivalent rent. And then rent spiked. So the the manipulation of the data to fit a narrative is reaching torturous levels. So I but I but people believe narratives. I mean I, that's the thing that I I just don't understand, right? There's all this data in front of people that they can look at and they could form a conclusion. But instead, they just listen to the man behind the curtain, right? Saying, oh, ignore the man behind the curtain. That that person you see who isn't really the great Oz. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm frustrated by the, the way people listen to drivel mm. and don't actually look at the data. It's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, I think the reason why this, uh, you know, why this surprised so many people is this is this presser that that Jay just gave, Jay, not Jerome, gave us in stark contrast to the very hawkish, you know, Jerome Powell that we've seen, you know, even going back to his Jackson Hole speech, which was very much we're staying here until the job is done. You know, this felt much more 
market, right? There, you know, he he used this phrase uh, disinflation, and he still, you know, he did emphasize that you know it would be premature to you know relate or relax monetary conditions too much, and he warned against you know he again referenced this 1970s 1980 period of Volcker, right, where there's a danger in in easing too soon. So he, he did emphasize that, but but we didn't get this this hawkish you know stick it to the markets, uh, you know, devil may care. Jerome that we've been seeing thus far. So, Mark, did, did you also have sort of a, a dovish interpretation of, of this particular presser? And if so, why? Because, you know, we saw, you know, as, as soon as Jay, you know, when Jay was still speaking, you know, the NASDAQ immediately jumped 2%. Uh, Bitcoin and the entire yeah. rest of crypto soon followed, yeah. right? And, you know, since then, we've, we've sort of started to see, I mean, it's like, it's like, the meme stocks all over, right? You've got uh, so crypto and the Nasdaq are up, but you've also got you know Carvana making a comeback, and it's led some. You know, Jim was talking this week about guys. This is you know we can't, we don't want to run the the twenty twenty one playbook all over again. So did you did you have a similar interpretation there, or, or what yeah, were your thoughts on? I actually I actually hashtagged it uh, the mm. McFly markets. Mm. You know, Marty McFly from Back to the Future. Mm. So we are right back to the idiocy of. And I, and, I, and I really mean idiocy. I mean, it is idiotic, completely idiotic to say that because interest rates are increasing less quickly, that somehow that means there's this, this wave of liquidity to push up stocks. That said, um, when everyone's on one side of the boat, when everybody's short and literally everybody was short, like all the hedge funds, all the institutions, all the banks, everyone was short. Uh, rightfully so. I mean, you mentioned Carvana is making a comeback. No, they're, no, they're not. Carvana is mm. going away. Carvana, yeah. uh, you've seen the pictures, right, of the empty car vending machines and they're not coming back. They, they will go bankrupt. Their equity will be extinguished. But boy, in the short term, What's it up? 350% in five weeks. So mm-hmm. people are like, I told you, I told you, you go, you know, that's a great stock. Like, no, no. That is a lottery ticket that the the expected value of every lottery ticket is zero. Right? Except one. I mean, one has some value, but the expected value, I guess it's not technically zero. I guess it's point oh 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 one cent or whatever it is. But the average person you know, makes their contribution to the lottery and, you know, gets their five minutes of entertainment. And I don't, I don't, I don't understand it, but tax on, on the poor. Um, although I know some, some really rich people who waste their money too, but, but I think, you know, um, generically it's, it's a tax on the poor, but I, I I'm really struggling because, you know, like Jim, I'm, I'm a value guy. And mm. I actually like to run analysis of cash flow and earnings, but these companies don't have that. Mm-hmm. And they're soaring on hopium, literally hopium, that there's going to be some increase in, increase in, in Fed liquidity. Now, look, it is true that financial conditions since October have gone straight up right there's there's just been there's been a massive unleashing of global liquidity first by the chinese then by crazy kuroda-san who i mean this is just amazing okay yeah kuroda did more 
QE in four days uh, a couple weeks ago than all of the Fed's QT yeah. in yeah. 2022. So, yeah, I, I get it that, you know, the don't fight the Fed. Well, now it's don't fight the global central bankers because it's more yeah. than the Fed. Uh, but the Fed has not done any easing. Mm-hmm. And 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 what here's the here's the part that, that's really hard for me is stocks are supposed to be a discounted stream of future cash flows, right? That's the value of the equity of a business. That means there should be cash flow, and in a lot of these businesses there aren't. You know, forty percent or forty plus percent of Russell two thousand stocks might have negative cash flow. They have no earnings. They're losing money, and so I don't know. Struggling, I'm struggling. Yeah, yeah. I, I it's it's hard it's hard for me too. And you know, on the one hand, I've sort of got two voices in my head, which is you know, a lot of people probably saw that that chart of bond performance going all the way back to you know the Revolutionary War in the in the U.S. from Bank of America, and you know, you saw that that 2022 was the the worst year for bonds basically in the history of the United States. And and what you what you also saw in, in that just, chart, just let that sink in. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. Like right. the word ever, whenever we can use the word ever or in the history of the United States, not that the United States is really old, but you know, we're kind of old, you know, 247 yeah. years now. It's a long time. It's, it's a long period of time. It, I don't know how they normalize that data, but that, that's, a, that's a feat that they put that together. But if you looked at the year after there were these big drawdowns, what did you have? You had mean reversion, you know, so sure. some, you know, look, last year was a terrible year. Even if there's more pain ahead, you you would expect some degree of reversion to the mean, even if it's just mechanics and shorts getting squeezed or, or whatever it is. You know, one, one thing that I, I'd, I'd like to call attention to and, and get your perspective on is we know that the Fed has been paying a lot of attention to wages, right? So before we had uh, the FOMC on Wednesday, we had uh, the economic cost index uh, that that data went live, I believe, on uh, Tuesday, so that that showed that wages were were slowing. Um, so that you know, there there's basically the what Powell has, I think, in his head is is this idea that if, if people are getting wage increases right at five percent, if the if the the wages are you know growing at five percent, then they can actually support the cost of five percent inflation. That's why there's such a a laser focus from the Fed Federal Reserve on wage pricing power. And the unemployment rate, and both of those things, the unemployment rate has stayed pretty stubbornly at at these historic lows. But you are starting to see wages, uh, pricing power of, of employees, kind of kind of turn over. So I, I would love to get your thought first, Mark, at a high level of a. Do you agree with what the Fed obviously believes, which is we need to see some slackening in the labor market to ultimately tame inflation? And and then b, are we seeing that that slackening, or do you think we'll see it soon? Yeah, look, I, I, you know how I feel about this. That I don't think the Fed has anything to do with what we call inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's oil prices and used car prices that were you know, triggered by the base effects of you know, shutting an economy down and turning it back on. And look, CPI mm-hmm. perfectly correlated sixteen months after M two growth. M two growth went negative for the first time in I think ninety six years. Let that one sink in. It's been 96 years of constant money printing since the the Fed was created. 
um, to diminish the value of the currency, to steal wealth from the masses and give it to the people at the top, which right income and wealth inequality is where it is. So mission accomplished by the Fed. Um, but the challenge now is, again, I, I don't know. All of this is, is literally nonsense in that there, there is no there is no pricing power for employees. How many announcements of 10,000 workers being laid off have you heard in the past month? Every single day, another company is laying people off. Our company, for the first time in 20 years, we had to let some people go. Which just never, we, we never got to that point before. Mm-hmm. This has been... And, and this idea that, oh, well, unemployment rate is, is so low. Well, no, it's not. It's because you're fudging the numbers. Again, the, the, the massive engineering, right, by taking people out of the labor force, making the labor force seem smaller, so the percentage of unemployment, those people are still working. But mm-hmm. just because they turn 65 doesn't make them out of the work. That's the way they do it. And the birth-death ratio nonsense. So I'm – I hear the narrative that people have crafted and I hear the torturing of the data, right? If you torture the data long enough, it, it will confess. The torturing of the data continues, but you go around and you look at economic activity, which is the true measure of whether wages are good or not good or economic activity. It's not so good. Mm. In fact, some of it is downright abysmal, like plumbing levels we haven't seen since global financial crisis or the Great Recession of, of or the, the, the period, the Great the Tech Wreck. Uh, you know, I heard somebody say, "Oh, this is this is just like March two thousand nine." Like, in what way is this mm. like March two thousand nine? I mean, yeah. other than the fact that you've had a short squeeze of the crappiest stocks, but in two thousand nine, you actually had a Fed. That was printing money at a rate we had we hadn't seen in decades. They were they were buying bonds. They were not, you know, trying to shrink their balance sheet. So to say this is like 2009, just just silly. And I I, I was I was gonna say maybe maybe I was early euphemism for wrong in that. I thought last year looked exactly like 2001 to me. Exactly. You know, tech bubble correcting, the fraud bubbles to the top, you know, the, the market goes down. Um, but maybe, maybe it was 2002 and maybe now this is March 2003. Well, no. Well, we don't have an invasion of foreign country to boost GDP, because that's what we do when GDP gets really bad. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, look, I think first quarter GDP, bad, negative. Mm-hmm. And, and then the, the narrative will shift again. But we'll see. What's going on, guys? Want to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, Curve. They are the one-stop shop credit cards that helps you take control of your personal finances. Here's the reason that I personally love this company. These guys are all about helping you manage and maximize your personal cash flow. We have been talking for the last couple of months about everything that the Fed is doing with raising interest rates. 
Obviously, this is not, no one's got a crystal ball. This is not financial advice, but I think it makes sense more than ever now for companies to be managing their cash flow and for you as an individual to be managing your personal cash flow as well. Curve makes it super, super easy to do that. Even I can do it. As a technological Philistine, they aggregate all of your spending information in one place. They make it super easy to plan. But they actually go one step further than that. They have a very cool feature called Go Back in Time, which allows you to switch payments from one card to another. So if you have an unexpected expense crop up, boom, you can move that over to your credit card, free up some cash. Or maybe you learned too late that you could have earned more rewards by spending on a different card. Boom, Curve has you covered there too. And the last thing that I'll say is, if you click the link at the bottom of this episode, you'll get $20 in Curve Cash, but you'll only get that if you click the vanity link at the bottom of this episode. Plus, that gives me the credit as well. So thank you, Curve. I appreciate you caring about cash flow. Guys, click the link at the bottom of this episode. Tell them I sent you. It's, you know, it's, it's funny. It's like, if you, if you look at the projections that, you know, the consensus economists projection for GDP, they have it, you know, bottoming in, you know, Q2 of Q3 next year. So they actually have it going negative, I think in, in Q2 or Q3. And then it kind of is this smile curve. It's like the Masayoshi san deck. If you ever saw the EBITDA recovery, yeah. which, you know what, actually, if I could go, he gets a lot of crap for that. I actually just think he was just being much more honest. Than, than most are yeah. because of his position. You know, Mark, as a VC, how many charts have you seen in, in your, you know, how many, how many charts have you been pitched in your life? What is the general direction that all the revenue goes? You know, it's all up and to the right. Up and yeah. to the right. There, there, no, I actually, never. I actually thought not, it was- Not one. Yeah. Not one. Not one yeah. ever. I call it the spreadsheetization of America. Yeah. Right? Since yeah. I graduated from business school, okay, 1987, uh, my first week on the job was- you know, the crash, that was fun. Um, since I graduated from business school and Lotus 1, 2, 3 was released. Okay. So we went away from, um, oh shoot, now I can't remember the name of the, uh, VisiCalc, VisiCalc. We went to Lotus 1, 2, 3. And most people are like, what's Lotus 1, 2, 3? Excel. Um, since then, not once have I ever, and, and I mean ever, and I've seen a lot of pitches and I've seen a lot of analysis of companies. Every single one goes up and to the right. Every single one. There's never even a scenario like base case, worst case. They all go up and to the right because that's what the function in you know these spreadsheet uh, packages does. Yeah. And, and and there's there's another thing about the spreadsheets that that really bugs me is the IRR function actually doesn't use interest rates it it integrates the, its own number the IRR number back into itself so it's like double counting so you get these incredible IRR numbers whenever you put stuff and everybody's like oh yeah this project's going to be an, a, a banger and then when things don't go as well they're like what happened I'm like well because life it, it, we've all seen the picture of you know what people think life is and what life is, right? There's the yeah. crocodiles and the bicycle and the hill and the, the boulder and you fall down a couple of times. Maybe you can, maybe you can get there, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, it is not up and to the right, which is every presentation I've ever seen. So, uh, the worst, the worst. No, no, I do. I want to share this. So I, I will keep the company nameless, um, a company that uh, pitched us and they said, okay, in 2022, we're going to have $800 million of revenue from zero. 
in 2000, I guess the pitch was in uh, 2018. So in four years, we're going to go from zero to 800 million in mm. revenues. Pretty okay. damn good. Yeah, pretty damn good. It must right? be worth a lot of money. <laughs> uh huh. Uh-huh. So turns out last year's revenues <clears throat> were $22 million. And they did a call. And I, I, I actually want to meet because I, I, I don't know who it was, but I couldn't see him. <clears throat> but someone actually asked the CEO on, on the phone, uh, on the call. So I'm looking at the pitch from 2018. And we were supposed to have 800 and we're at 20 and you're in this all positive mood. And you said, well, um, you know, we, we've revised some things. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. We've revised some things. Yeah. So, you know, revising things is right. what you do when you're at 95% below where you expect it to be. <laughs> so, it, right. That's, that's the difference between a tr- an investor and a trader. An mm. investor is a trader who's down. Mm-hmm. Right, because it went against you, and now I'm an investor. Right, <laughs> that's that's really good. Um, all right, so let me let me just get because I want to move on to there, there's stuff happening over in in the EU as well. Actually, before we get there, I want to talk about the liquidity picture. But let me let me give you my my sort of thoughts here. I you know trying to synthesize everything that I saw from from Jay. I think that he believes he's getting his soft landing. That was my conclusion from mm-hmm. from listening to him. Right, so. Soft landing, I forget. There's been there's been like two right uh, in in the history of at least at least the last like hundred or so yep. years. One of them was in the '90s uh, under Greenspan, and I think that's what he sees. And you know what? I I have to admit, there's the part of my brain which is, you know, we added record amount, you know, huge amounts of liquidity. We had animal spirits like we haven't seen in you know since since the dot com bubble or, or probably even before mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, we had the greatest withdrawal of that liquidity, you know, again, ever. We set, we're, we keep setting yeah. records on, on every yeah. chart that, that we post. And, and it would make sense to me that, you know, even to revert to the mean, right, we would need to, it would need to go further than it has. At the same time, like every sign of economic strain, you know, that might be suggesting that there's going to be more pain ahead has not materialized, right? The, you know, balance sheets of, of American homes, you know, we've gone over they're actually extremely healthy. Credit spreads have remained tight. Uh, you know, stock market has corrected within a sort of a healthy range. I so I, I don't know. At what point do you say, look, I, I you know you don't want to be changing your mind here out the time, but you know when when the data changes, like do we do we change our mind now? Now to to maybe mm-hmm. caveat that, just because this is a soft someone someone made a really good analogy that in the 1970s, which by the way was not a particularly fun period of time, so I'm told to live through from an economic standpoint. There were there were multiple soft landings, right? Because you because you had multiple tightening cycles that that Volcker mm-hmm. put the economy through. So again, this could be part of a longer stop start inflationary thing, but it you know I mean the data at least you know as it looks today points to something that looks like a, a softer landing. I got to be honest, I'm kind of throwing my hands up and feeling confused here. Look from 1968 to 1982, uh, the economy went precisely nowhere. We had multiple recessions, uh, multiple recoveries, and quote unquote these these soft landings. Because <laughs> you know, if, I guess if you fall from a really low level, it's softer than if you fall from a really high level. So the fact is, you never took off, you didn't crash. So mm-hmm. I guess that's one way to look at it. But from sixty eight to eighty two, stock market 
was precisely 1,000 points. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was 1,000 points for 14 years. Mm. And yes, it went up and went down, and there were big drawdowns and big recoveries. And, oh, there's another bull market. Dead flat for 14 years. So, yeah, great. That's, that's where I think we probably are. I think mm. we're going to have a lost couple decades of basically no economic growth, kind of like Japan's had for the last you know, three decades. Um, stock market probably does this, right? I made the bet with with Kevin O'Leary on on CNBC four years ago that Amazon would be dead money for a decade, and so far I'm winning. And uh, I, and I don't again, I'm not gloating in the fact it's it's not that Amazon's not a good company; it's a great company, but they just reported the largest loss in their history today, right? I mean, this is you know today we're recording, but tomorrow you'll listen to this. But today is going to be not such a fun day. We had four of the largest tech stalwarts, all of them. I don't want to say shit the bed, but okay, shit the bed. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. Apple was bad. Amazon was bad. Um, uh, shoot, I can't remember the other two. But all four of them, bad. And on top of that, that's on top of. Microsoft was bad. Netflix was bad. Even Meta was bad, right? They mm. missed on revenue. The revenue growth is turning down. Apple's, which just went negative. So those are not growth companies. But, but everybody spins a narrative. So Netflix spun the narrative of, oh, look, we, we, uh, we added so many new subscribers. Yay, us. Okay, there's this young guy. Um, now I'm, I'm, I wish I could give him a shout out, but now I can't remember his name. And and I love him. I started following him on Twitter. Um, and he said, uh, in the past twelve months, Netflix spent two point eight billion dollars with a B on advertising. Mm. Okay, divide that by the number of subscribers they got. It's two hundred and eighty four dollars per subscriber he says here let's make a deal send me a check for 284 dollars and i promise i will sign up for netflix and then cancel after three months i mean because that's what's happening right you give someone a free for three months and then they're a subscriber you pay 284 dollars for that and then they cancel because their mortgage just went up by a thousand dollars let this 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 is the part that no one seems to be talking about. Mm. Mortgage payments are going to go up $1,000 on average mm -hmm. this year. Okay. The average family does not have $1,000 after tax a month. Not, not a whole bit. Like they don't have $500 for an emergency. They don't have $1,000 a month. They're going to cut. You say, oh, they'll never cut Netflix. You watch what they cut. Um, quick service restaurants going to get destroyed. <laughs> Home builder stocks are back to record highs, despite the fact that new permits and house sales and, and nonsense. So, and then Meta was the other one. Meta went up a hundred billion dollars yesterday. Well, so let's let's talk about Meta for a second because that that That's was a big two one. Two Twitters, 
Yeah. That's two Twitters. Yeah. In yeah. one day. So, so Meta, you know, the reason for it's, it's, you know, it's not some, not some crazy, uh, you know, it's not some crazy thing. So I, I actually thought they, um, I'm trying to load you. I, I thought they'd beat on on earnings. They had some some 32 billion dollars or, or something in revenue, but they were right around right. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it's it, it wasn't spectacular on the earnings front. What moved their stock price was first of all there was positive commentary and guidance from Zuck, right, which was which stands in pretty stark contrast to their third quarter earnings, which was disastrous, right, and their stock you know plummeted like a bowling ball in a lake or whatever. Uh, but but uh, the, you know the other thing is that he you know he talked about increasing the the shareholder buyback program, which you right. know if you want to make if you want to make Wall Street I mean the, the what what Facebook was coming under fire or Meta was coming under fire for criticism for was the amount that they were spending on their Reality Labs unit right and that was their play on the metaverse and you know what investors want to see I mean let, let me tell me if I'm I'm reading into this too much but it's it is interesting. Uh, you know, so I guess first of all, Apple was was the one who really turned the tides here, and they started like with a really aggressive stock buyback program, and that's what got Warren Buffett interested in the stock. And Facebook has been doing you know a pretty good job of they've been they've been buying back an enormous amount of their stock as well. You know, to me, when I think about the life cycle of a company, and I hear that a company is buying back a lot of their shares, you know, they're they're returning they're returning capital to their investors. That signals to me a more mature company. And, you know, the life cycle of a company is you start out as a very high growth sort of company where you get valued on your, you know, 30%, you know, quarter over quarter growth or year over year growth. And uh, eventually what investors want to see is that translate into cash flow and dividends and returning capital to shareholders. And it seems like what Wall Street is saying to tech is, I, we know you guys have been growing for a long period of time. We gave you a huge amount of rope. Nobody cared about seeing many profits for a long period of time. Now we want to see some some profits. And you know, there were some there were some quotes from from analysts here. Uh, you know, there's a, there's an Evercore analyst, Mark Mahaney. You know, there's a quote: "Does Meta really deserve to be up twenty percent in the aftermarket?" In a word, yes. He cited materially reduced expense projections, larger than anticipated share buybacks, and he upped his price target to two hundred and seventy five dollars. And it was like a slew of analysts, uh, you know, analysts that were changing their their tune on Meta. So. I mean, I don't know. To, to me, this kind of slots into the bigger narrative of, of these these tech giants, these these blue chip uh, sort of fang tech stocks transitioning from investors demanding growth at all costs to uh, we we want capital return to to our pockets, which has been going on for a period of time. But that's what it looks like to me. It's what just do you think? fake. It's like fake meat, mm. right? You can you can believe that somehow it's it's meat, but it's not. Mm. You shouldn't put it in your body. Um, and you shouldn't buy these things. I mean, mm. it it is. I, I will say one thing: Meta at eighty eight bucks or eighty six bucks or whatever it got down to. Okay, it was too cheap. Mm-hmm. But this is, you know, what happens in short squeezes when narrative gets bought, and the the. the 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 growth potential of these businesses is gone, and you know, I say they're the mature company, or and I love I love the order that you put it in that that Apple decided to buy back shares, and then Buffett got interested. No, 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 no. Buffett said, "Here's how it goes: Your stock is suffering. I'm going to buy some, and you are going to do a couple things. Uh, you're going to promise to 
give me, okay, who will become your new largest shareholder, share buybacks, okay? In exchange, I will get you a tax cut, which is exactly what he did. He got the corporate tax cut for these, you know, tech companies that didn't deserve it. And that's how, did he get that's the, how the game is How did he get the tax cut? Money. He paid the politicians to pass it. And the, and the game was, we'll give you a tax cut, but you have to then take that money and not spend it on innovation and new businesses and, and growth. You got to give it back to us rich guys. Mm-hmm. Just look at when the buyback started, go back to the tax cut, look at the people who are doing the biggest buybacks and look at where the money's coming from. It was a direct government transfer from the government, which where those taxes used to be going, into the hands of management and Warren Buffett. Mm. And that's that's the way it's always worked. Think about when he, he did the same thing with Wells Fargo years ago. He said, all right, I'm going to buy this crappy little bank that you know cheats and does all kinds of bad things. And now we know, now we know how many bad things they do. But they charge fees instead of intra- NIM. They don't, they're not like a, a JP Morgan where it's big on the, the net interest margin. They, they charge these fees, like, like overdraft fees. Now, the fact that they engineer poor people's deposits and withdrawals to maximize their fees. This is crazy stuff. Like you, you got $100 in your bank account and you got a rent check for 200 bucks and your income for uh, 150 bucks. They process the rent check before they process the deposit, charge you an overdraft fee. Even mm. though you were good and you actually wrote the checks in the right order, the software cheats you. And that's billions and billions of dollars. So that money goes directly from you know, the poor people to, to the rich people like Warren. So, I mean, that, that's the one money talks. And that's how bills get passed. And, um, you know, the idea, we haven't even talked about the crappy companies, at least, at least the big fang man stocks are good companies with, with good, mostly good products. I'm not a big fan of social media, but, um, you know, Apple makes good products and Amazon is a good company and, you know, NVIDIA makes good chips, uh, Microsoft, good tools. <clears throat> so good companies, but their growth rates are low single digits to now negative. They do not command 20, 25, 30. I think Amazon's at a hundred times earnings again. That's insane. That's insane. And no matter how many shares you buy back, you can't make it work long-term. In the short run, knock yourselves out. People will believe it. Shorts will get slaughtered. And um, I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm just a sour old man who, who can't you know, grow out of my value investor ways, but I, I don't get it. Well, I mean, the I, I think the thing that would make me – look, this is my, my mental framework for how things should – probably go after you have a year like 2020 2021 even beginning of 2022 there's another shoot there's a shooter drop right like i i don't look at what happened in 2021 as like oh well look at this phenomenal economic growth and this amazing engine that we built in the united states like no that was you know an enormous amount of liquidity that was injected by the fed and that was that was stimulus and that's the reason why that that sort of mania happened which 
look, I, I know they did a they bridged what was a very difficult time, right, with COVID and all that uncertainty. But uh, honestly, it wasted a lot of people's time as well. I mean, a, a lot of money went to the wrong the wrong things, and now we have to undo some of that some of that work. And look, if you if you work in crypto, like like Blockworks and and Morgan Creek, right, it, it's been a tough been a tough twenty twenty two. If you work in like the craziest of the growth tech stocks, you know, it's been a relatively tough year. But again, you know, I know you just referenced these 10,000 person layoffs. You know, we're not even, none of these companies that have done these layoffs, these 10,000 person layoffs, they're not even back to 2021 numbers, right? So there just hasn't been quite enough, uh, as much pain as I, as I would have thought. But, but, you know, who knows? I, 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 just, I don't have a, you know, I, I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, last thing I wanted to get your opinion on is, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot from the, you know, if you've been paying attention to the what moves prices in the last couple of years, we know that it's liquidity, right? I mean, that's that's the major mover of yep. markets. So, you know, the last thing that, that Powell said, and this is, you know, I'll put my hand up and say I don't fully understand the mechanics of how this works, but, you know, he talked about the the, the balance on the TGA, the Treasury General Account uh, draining. And for those of you who are listening, that consider that that's like the checking account, right, of the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. So when the TGA goes down, it means that the U.S. is spending money. It's liquidity positive. So I'm sort of trying to balance that in my head um, with, you know, that could be an explanation for why stocks are going up, right? The, the U.S. government is spending money. Um, at the same time, we have a bunch of liquidity that's still stuck in this reverse repo facility, right, which is, uh, you know, it's not liquidity positive or negative if it's staying still, but that's almost like a... You know that that's still liquidity that could come back into the market, and at the same time, you've got the the China reopening, which we haven't really talked about too much. Yeah. But I mean, yep. the the liquidity picture doesn't look quite as negative uh, as as it did certainly last year, and I'm wondering if that's part of what stocks are sniffing out. Well, too. certainly. Look, there's no question. Q4 fourth quarter, massive government spending, big inventory build, and Powell did say. Right. Don't expect those two things to continue. Right. So Q, he was he was kind of warning that Q1 GDP is going to be not so not so great. But if you look at Q4, 75 percent of the growth, the one really growth was this draining of the TGA government spending and building up inventories. Now, look. We did talk about this a few weeks ago, saying that the amount of tax loss selling that occurred in 2022 did set the stage for the potential for this this January effect. This this now I didn't think it was going to be this this crazy. Um, we had stocks going up 30 percent every day, um, you know, and companies like Best Bed Bath and Beyond I mean, bankrupt, bankrupt like liquidating, going to go away, and people are still punting in that stock. So good for them. Um, musical chairs, I, it's not a game I like to play. But um, here's, here's the thing that, that I just don't understand, is the Fed is not adding liquidity. They're just not, right? They're, they're simply not. Um, the ECB, not. See, the ECB is now in the hot seat. Ms. Christina, uh, she's got a problem. Uh, she is now the one that has to raise. She's 200 basis points behind everybody else. And um, that's going to be a tough one 
for Europe. Now, the European banks love it, and the European banks are going, you know, bananas. But rest of Europe didn't like that very much, particularly the exporters, um, because it's going to strengthen the euro, and you know, dollars continue to fall. Euro is going to strengthen. The yen is the, is the wild card. I mean, Croatian unleashing this Corona tsunami. Um, that should actually weaken the yen pretty badly, which maybe the, the dollar stays flattish. Um, but the, the euro probably going to rise a lot and it's going to be tough to sell, you know, Volkswagens and, and, uh, Audis if, if your currency's strengthening. So I think, I think Europe's going to, going to struggle from an economic growth perspective. In fact, I think Germany just went negative in Q4, like 0.2 or something like that. So economically, I get why Jay Powell is, is saying, yeah, um, you know, don't don't count on on the government government spending to continue because you know we're almost out of money, um, and they're certainly not going to increase taxes because that's not, not not a popular platform to run on. But I I still come back to PMIs are rolling over, industrial production is rolling over, new orders component of PMIs are rolling over. Um, I don't see any catalyst for a strong recovery. And if if the definition of soft landing is the Chuck Yeager, right? Any crash you can walk away from is is a good landing. Um, okay, well, you know we're not going to crash, but I don't I don't see us getting back in the sky anytime soon. Mm. What would um what would you see that could make you change your mind? On this, like, what is there a bit of economic data that you could see that would make you say, "Hey, actually, things are are better than than I initially thought." Um, let's say PMIs stop going down; they don't even have to go uh-huh. up; just stop going down. Um, you know, the forward the forward prices component, um, retail sales stop going down. We just had the worst retail sales number. I don't think it's in history, but it was maybe 30 years, 40 years. I mean, it was a long time, um, minus one and a half percent. Um, and that's, remember, that's, that's with no adjustments for population growth. So it's worse than that. So uh, retail sales stopped going down. That, that, would, that would be a positive for me. Um, I'd like to see uh, industrial production not going down, like not negative. Um, so I even said I'm. I'll take any of those. I mean, three out of the four big four are negative and saying we're in recession. The only one that's keeping us out of recession is the employment number, which I think is totally cooked. So um, I don't know. I'm I, if if GDP in Q1 isn't negative, I guess I'd have to say that that I'm wrong. Um, but I look at look at earnings this season. Earnings has mm-hmm. not been good, right? It just mm-hmm. hasn't, and and yet the multiples expanded a lot. That doesn't make sense to me. Multiples should not expand in rising interest rate environments. Full stop. Right? Because the discount rate at which you're discounting future cash flows is still rising. Right? Interest rates just went up two days ago. They didn't go down. And yes, the forward curve is pricing in cuts this year. That's, that's I think, the, 
the craziness of all of this is all of this rally, not all of it, a big chunk of it is based on this idea that, that the forward curve, forward futures curve is right and that Powell's jawboning is wrong, that he's not as, as Jerome-y as, as uh, he wants to, you to believe, that he really is J, J-A-Y, or worse, you know, J, the pusher. But I think, I think we got 50 or 75 base points of cuts priced into the forward curve, which I'll take the, the under on that. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening to On The Margin. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a very special offer that we have coming out of BlockWorks Research. Now, many of you will probably be familiar with our platform, but BlockWorks Research is the most blue chip spot to get research, data, governance, models, and a whole lot more about the leading DeFi protocols in the space. I've leaned on our analysts time and time again to explain complicated concepts going on in DeFi to me like I'm five years old. They can do the same for you. If you invest in DeFi or are just interested in it, it is an absolute no-brainer. As a listener of On The Margin, and to say thank you all for listening to the show, you can use Margin 10 for a 10% discount, and that gives you access to everything, which would be weekly in-depth reports, live data, all of that good stuff. So again, that's code MARGIN10 for a 10% discount. Link is in the show notes. Sign up now. Thank me later. Yeah, there's a... We showed a chart uh, on on this Wednesday's episode, which is basically what the Fed says they're going to do in terms of where they're, uh, you know, they're, where they're going to yep. get to in rates and what the market is pricing in. Yeah, and that's what I'm see, about. yeah, 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 exactly. And you see the first that there's a big divergence that gets more pronounced throughout the rest of the year, where you see the market is pricing in the first 25 basis point cut by I think September or October. Mm-hmm. So, and usually, you know, historically, the Fed has come when there's that divergence. The Fed comes to the market instead of the other way around, with the big exception obviously being 2022, right? Where the bond market said there weren't going to be any hikes and obviously the bond market was wildly wrong and incorrect. So, you know, history is only a guide. And and one thing that I'll say about finance that maybe this is still a little bit of a beginner's mind or, or whatever, but, you know, you often hear these pronouncements that people make, which is, you know, here, here's one that, that we hear a lot. Uh, the Fed has never, and this comes from Stan Druckenmiller, who's the goat, right? So I'm not, I'm mm-hmm. not taking a shot at mm-hmm. Stan here, but um, you know, the Fed has never cured CPI without getting uh, the, the the Fed funds rate above CPI. Yep, that is referring to two data points in history, right? So like very often yeah. you'll you'll hear these pronouncements refer, you know, when, when you when you learn statistics in school, the very first thing you hear is like correlation doesn't equal causation. Yep, and an enormous amount of finance and these like scary pronouncements that you hear are exactly that is correlate correlation that's you know equating to causation, yeah. and you're using it on like three data points. So I just want to caveat that all by saying like that's what always makes me gives me a little humility and like so I've been convinced at at various points that this is what has to happen. You hear these sort of pronouncements, but just keep in mind we're working from a very <laughs> limited data set here when it comes to finance. Yeah, I, I, I think that's I think that's a an incredibly um, important point and, mm. and an incredibly uh, wise, you know, wise beyond your years. Mm. Uh, an incredibly wise perspective. Um, I mean really I, I mean I, I really, really do. And and I think that is true, right? There's a lot of stuff that gets pronounced based on very little observed <laughs> trend. The, the problem that worries me is we have a whole generation of people right now, right? Through no fault. I, I know, I don't mean, I'm not, I'm not a blame. It's not like the old boomer guy talking mm. about the young guys. 
We have a whole generation of people mm-hmm. in the business that only know polluted data. And what I mean by that is if you go back before yeah. 2000, right? Yeah. If you go back before 2000, actually before 1995, if you go back before 1995, for 100 years, right? We had a very cyclical, predictable um, uh, set of cycles around the business cycle, the liquidity cycle, profit cycle, valuation cycles. And all the measures were mean reverting. They were normal. They followed very good statistical models. And then with irrational exuberance and Alan Greenspan, we entered the central banking era. And since Greenspan, we've been in a period of of polluted data where all of the traditional relationships broke down, whether it's GDP to market cap, market cap to GDP. I mean, if you think about it, right, the market cap, the equity market cap of an economy should be less than its GDP, right? Because it Uh. costs money to make money. Right? There right. is a cost of doing business. So, but that's not where we live today. We live in this rarefied air of like 130%. Doesn't make any sense. We look at price to sales, okay? Price to sales, 8%, it might be even be higher now, 8% of companies have price to sales of greater than 10. Not price earnings, price to sales. That number should be sub one. In 2000, it got to four, and that was crazy, okay? So that makes no sense. And people say, oh, well, zero interest rates. Well, we don't have zero interest rates anymore, y'all. We have five. We have five. So to say that we can have, I mean, Apple, Apple's EV to EBITDA is five times it's normal. Look at the long-term history. It's five times it's normal. That's not normal. And so everybody's, oh, but it's cheap because it went down. No, it's not cheap. It's not even close to cheap. And based on its revenue growth, which is now negative, how much should you pay for a company with negative revenue growth? Not 30 times, not 25 times, not 15 times, not even a market multiple. And everybody's, oh, but the market multiple in the last 20 years. Oh, my God, are you kidding me? You can't look at a subset of polluted data and say that's normal. You just can't, but that's mm-hmm. where we are. And all the models now only go back 20 years and, and everybody's looking at and it just, and it gets worse post 2009, right? The QE era made the pollution even more toxic. So now mm-hmm. it's not just polluted. Like it was polluted in you know the 2000 period, 2010 period, but now it's just toxic. I mean, like total giggle, garbage in, garbage out. But anyway, I I largely agree with that, but I don't know what the solution is. Like I, I, I'm, I know, I'm, I know. I'm kind of I'm kind of with you on this. Like I'm also looking at it like you, right? I'm looking at debt to GDP. I you know I look at I, I know there's the Buffett indicator, right, which has been screaming that everything's been overvalued for 20 years. Yeah. But I also see this, you know what, actually, um, I, I know he's not your, your favorite guy, but I did, uh, Ben Hunt made an analogy about kind of the three body problem. You, you, no, you no, know no, 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 let, let, let's, let's correct that. 
I, I, I think, I think Ben Hens perfectly fine guy. He didn't like me, but, but this, so it's not, it's not, it's not like a mutual disadmiration society. I mean, I, I like him. I'm he's a perfectly fine guy. I don't really know him very well, but he didn't like me. But that's okay. So we'll we'll have we'll have to get you both both on the show and, and talk it out. But he made this analogy that did stick with me, which is like this idea of like the you ever heard the three body problem? You know the the you know the problem in physics where you got two balls orbiting in gravity. You you can predict right. You can turn the crank of this mechanism and and you could say okay, I know the mass and I know the velocity and I know the gravitational pull. Yep. In one yep. hour, these balls rotating around, I know where this ball is going to be relative to that ball. When you introduce a third, something's something funny happens. Uh, you would think. That because you know the mass and the velocity and the, the pull of gravity, you could do the same thing. You could pull your crank and you could tell where all these balls are going to be relative to each other in an hour, but you cannot. A third ball introduces this whole other gravitational field and it's, it's this big problem in, in physics yeah. and it spawned a book called The Third Body Problem, which is a great book. But that's what central banks are. They have introduced this weird, gigantic variable that has disrupted, to your point, this very predictable uh, you know, cycle, the business, the business cycle, the liquidity cycle. And you and I can sit here and be like, this is weird and this is wrong, but I, but they exist, you know? So well, they certainly I, exist. And like, look, Santiago and I got in the debate, which again, not argument. I, I love Santiago. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's okay for us to differ. Mm-hmm. He thinks memes have value. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I find that hilarious. Uh-huh. I mean, absolutely hilarious. So, so what you're telling me is because I create a picture of a funny phrase and people then buy something related to that funny phrase, it has value? Where? What, what value did it create? I actually have a – I could steal man that argument, by the way. I know. And right. let, let me let me steal man the – try to steal man the argument. The uh, social media has won in terms of distribution. The – best way to go viral on social media is to become a meme, right? Yeah. Like I would love, I actually saw there was a, a meme that was made about forward guidance, warmed my heart, you know, which is awesome for Jack. But also I'm like, that's awesome because that means he has penetrated the the mind virus. And like, it's, it's just growth. It's just distribution. It's just a, it's just another. I, I know, I know. And look, I, I get it. Like every day I have to live with this mm-hmm. where I say, you know, the bear market in crypto will be over when Doge and Shiba go to zero. They never got to zero. In Uh fact, they're going up again. And there's no there there. And the only there, this is the crazy part, the only there is the people who say, well, you better watch out if they actually find a use case. Like, oh my God. Who says that? Billion. That's, oh, so many people. So really? many people. You better yeah. watch out if they find that's super funny. You better watch out if they find a use case because then you're going to be wrong. I'm like, it's already valued at $11 billion for nothing. Yeah. Like literally people. And, and here's, the, here's the crazy part, right? It's valued at $11 billion. Okay, but, but what, what's the value? What's the underlying value? Could you turn it into somebody to get something? Nope. Like at least Amazon. In theory, other than today, they generate profits and cash flow. Again, not, not today, but, but in general, they have found a way to produce 
return by, you know, they, they got away from the, hey, yeah, we lose money on every sale, but we make it up on volume. Ha, ha, ha. They got away from that. And they actually had a period where AWS was, was actually generating some cash. Okay. So if I had a share of that company, I could give it back to the company and I would actually get something for that. Now, I will argue that companies like <laughs> Tesla, maybe it's a little less, less clear how much value there is there. But a meme stock? Or um, a meme coin? Yeah. No, 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 there's no, there's no value. So all it is is a collective delusion that, Michael, if you don't sell and I don't sell, then the price can't go down. So just everybody not sell. And in fact, if we can get some other people to buy, then the price will go up. That's Tupperware, right? That, that's, that's, you know, um, uh, God, what's the door-to-door thing in uh, Grand Rapids? Um, the the multi-level marketing Amway. That's Amway, right? As long as we can continue to get people, you know, dog pilled, and and they buy this, then then we who are in early, we can sell to them. Okay, but that ultimately has to end, and it should have ended with the elimination of free money, but it didn't. And so, but the market doesn't believe the free money is gone. That I think that's, the Ah, I think that I, that's what I think is the case. I don't think that the market believes that here's okay. So here's my, um, Ah, here's my very smart. Yeah. That's what I think. That's what I think is happening. And you know, my concern as an operator of a business, right. Is like, look, block we've gone through some, some times, right? Like we made it through COVID, uh, you know, we made it through, you know, 2018 and 2019, we made it through this year. And when you put it like that, there's actually been more bad times than, than good a lot. Of bad. I, know, but, I know. But it's been but, a lot of bad times since yeah. 2018. But the, the one thing that we've never dealt with, and I know that history is replete with example, like three year periods of time. It's always these like short, extreme bursts. And it, it has given rise to this idea of like just, just so many people, there's so many even founders that I know. You know, whenever there's hard times, like, okay, this will blast for like six or nine months. And, and you yeah. tell me, like, did people always think that way? Or because I'm always like in the back of my head, I'm like, well, you know, the dot-com bust, which I know is big, but still, you know, that lasted for like three years, you know, that, that you had to that you had to fill your coffers and, and be financially responsible. And, you know, block, we run things financially conservatively because I'm all, in the back of my head. I'm always like, yeah. it could get bad for three yeah. years. That's no, what look, I always am it, thinking, but it doesn't ever. It's it doesn't seem to materialize. No, no, no. It. it's it's the it's the pollution. This isn't the pollution. If you go back in history, and you look from 1776, you know, beginning of the yeah. Republic, to like 1913-ish, interestingly, yeah. cycles were very long, deep and high, boom bust, but recessions happened a lot. Right? I mean, th- there were recessions and there were con- expansions and contractions, and but they were sickle. And, and like you said, a bad period could last multiple years. Right. Since thirteen, those cycles, the 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 amplitude started shrinking. So not as big wins, not as down downs, but also the frequency started to come in. So it started to happen faster. Well, now. We're like at this this frenetic kind of bouncing. 
not as high, not as low. Take take the COVID dumbness, dumbness. There's a dumb word, stupidity. Take the COVID stupidity out. Um, we're, we're at this this rapidly f- vibrating freak, and the frequency is so short because, to your point, social media is one, right? Social media doesn't allow cycles to last their full trend because everybody's you know here we are we we every week we talk and and we're part of the issue in that at least we're not doing it daily but everybody's out there yammering and it mm. it definitely has shrunk the attention span the frequency i will actually say you know one of my i'm not a huge new year's resolution guy but i actually made one of my resolutions this year to limit i think i told you this uh my screen time to three hours a day as if that's some you know titanic effort but i i feel yeah. it too look i'm not a, look i got a uh, our our uh, newsletter writer Byron, uh, shout out Byron, gave me a, a book recommendation uh, for the Power Broker. It's uh, the story of Robert Moses, you know the you know the famous yeah. New York City politician, you know the New Deal guy. Yeah. And you know I'm I'm starting to read this thing, and every like two pages, I'm like, gotta check my phone. It's crazy. It's like a it's no, like a it's, nicotine it's an addiction. addiction. Look, it's a totally addiction. It it well, I mean, first of all, it is an addiction, right? I mean, it is an addiction. And I, I've told the story. You know, Pomp worked it. At Facebook, and he said, on top of the um, uh, whiteboards in the conference room, the word addiction was written because it, it is about addiction. And um, you just got to take cold showers. I just found out that cold showers are the new cocaine. I'm like, what? What? And like, I guess when you take a cold shower, which I didn't realize, I'm, I, I, I knew this happened that when you turn off the water, there's this feeling where your body's like rewarming itself, but that's a dopamine hit, just like, you know. So if you, if you need a dopamine hit, just take a cold shower. Um, don't, don't look at your phone. But Pump, uh, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but Pump wrote a great newsletter this week. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, it basically it sums up everything that we're talking about, which is that the Fed, basically everyone's on easy mode. And, you know, like lower interest rates, what that does, the interest rate is the, the you have a, uh, there's a concept in finance called your, your cost of capital, right? Yep. And, and a lot of the time, because there's a lot of debt financing that has to do with your interest rates and your the the amount that it costs to service your, yeah. your debt. If you lower that cost, it means the hurdle rate, the amount of economic surplus that you need to generate over your interest rate gets easier and easier and easier, right? And what the and what lower interest rates have done is it's trained an entire my generation of people, me like me, this has impacted me on on what they think life is like. I, I was talking about I had a it's the giant easy button. Yeah, it's the giant easy button just smash. And you know, that's my con- that's my concern. Is uh, you know, I, I talked to a a buddy of mine who actually works at TikTok, and he was describing the difference between U.S. best U.S. based engineers and Chinese based engineers, yeah. and he was like, yep. "It is a night and day difference." And I don't want to be one of these like, I know that this kind of vibe is uh, you know people don't work hard enough, and that's not what I'm trying to get at. But it is. He was like that the you know the U.S. engineers they come in. At twelve, they, he's like they work three or four hour days, and they and they leave. Michael, we've all seen we've all seen the day in the life TikToks yeah. of the Google engi- of, of Google engineers. We've all seen them. It's not it's not imaginary, right? Yeah. And, and and someone was saying uh, the good news is um, now we're going to have less because Google laid off and somebody else. Oh God, who was anyway? Um, they're like, now we're going to get more, whatever it was, puppy videos and less, you know, day in the life, uh, 
you know, I'm having my matcha and going for my massage and then I, I knock off at 4.30. Oh, I'm laid off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that, to your point, if you're laying off people who are working four or five hours a day, maybe net net, you know, maybe they shouldn't have hired that many people. Now they're laying off the rip and Twitter, right? People complain on Twitter. I, I still love Twitter. In theory, they laid off 80% of their staff. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what all the reports are. Nothing changed. As far as I can tell, nothing changed. I mean, there's some new things, but nothing changed. How can you have 80% of your people and have nothing changed? Unless I'm those pretty people surprised about that too. I will say, actually yeah. doing anything. Yeah, I will say that, and then maybe we can end this on a, a positive and optimistic note. I think just, just to frame that the context of this is like, I, my, my only concern is like a relatively young person is like, I want to make sure that my experience and my view of the world is not based on faulty data. I, I think that's yeah. the, like, you know, that's the, the framing of this. And the positive note that I'll, I'll leave you is uh, that same conversation with my friend who works at TikTok. He said there was still like the ingenuity actually that came out of, there's a, there's an open-mindedness and, and, uh, and approach to problem solving in the U S that still is like unmatched. So there's like so much good here so much reason to be optimistic there's so much like oh but again i i just i just want to make sure that um i don't know that we're cap is a lame way to end it that we're capitalizing on that i suppose uh you know it's 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 a hundred percent the the answer which is uh we can't we can't just be a society that that just entertains each other Right, that's the bread and circuses of, of Rome, and that's what led to the fall. Um, we need constant innovation. Um, we need constant creativity. We need, and 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 actually, right to to make uh, lemonade when the uh, you know, world hands you lemons, you get laid off. Now you got to go do something, and a lot of great businesses are going to be created, and a lot of people are going to you know put the nose to the grindstone and do some great stuff. And that's been true of every uh, dislocation in, in history. Now, whether we've prepared, uh, and, and I won't go too deeply into this, but but you know the participation trophy problem is real, right? I, I've talked about it for years. You know, don't keep scoring soccer games because someone might lose. Bullshit. That's why you play games. Winning, losing, it's good. And yeah, you know, it's been going around the, the internet and I, I've been asking people, I actually asked Hubert Davis this. Um, we got, uh, there was a dinner for the basketball program and Stacey and I got to go because she's the super fan and she made me get her a ticket. So, okay, we went and asked, got to ask questions. I got to ask, so Hubert, do you love to win or hate to lose? And everyone needs to answer that question. Do you hate to lose or do you love to win? And you can't say both, both. You can't say both. You got you to pick one. And that says a lot about your personality and, and, uh, and I think it's important. Winning and losing is important. And the idea that we're all the same and we're all equal and everybody kumbaya. Uh -uh. Mm -mm. And that Chinese engineer versus American engineer, China graduates 4.5 million STEM engineers every year. We graduate 500,000. So they start. With nine times as many people say, oh, but they're not good. Fine. Let's say half of them aren't good. It's probably not true, but let's say half of them aren't good. That's still five times ours. So that just so number, sheer that's number. Crazy. That's a wild thing to say. That's no, uh, it, it's just that sheer number yeah. 
goes to the focus and, and they don't want to be a country that entertains themselves. They want to be a country of innovation, wealth creation, and they want to be the superpower, not a superpower. They want to be the superpower, not yeah. military domination, but domination of everything, technological creation, manufacturing. It's a, it's a grand plan. And so again, to finish positive, we do have, the greatest innovation culture in the history of the world. Yeah. Full stop, right? 100%. So many great innovations have come out of Route 128 in Boston and Silicon Valley and Austin, Texas and, you know, Seattle and, you know, New York. And there's all these pockets of innovation. We have, we have the greatest research universities in the world. Now we got other problems with the university system that, that we don't talk about, but, but research universities, awesome. And at the end of the day, we have capital that could, if we did it right, support those. And I'll get on my soapbox for one second. I still believe for young people, it should be against the law, against the law to mm. own bonds in your 401k. Mm. You should be forced. And I do mean forced, of course, to own venture capital, not prohibited from owning venture capital, which is the current rule. But you should be coerced to put that capital in a place where entrepreneurs and innovators can use it and have it have access to it for super cheap. And then we'd have more innovation. I have a I was reminded again, I went out with uh, so I moved into this this new building and my girlfriend and I went out with the there's a couple that lives below us and I was telling them about, you know, I, I always I never say crypto when I talk about my work because I don't I you know, I don't want to get into a discussion yep. about it but i you know they asked and i was like oh well, it's, it's a crypto it's a crypto company and like well how much of your your net worth you know do you, do you have in crypto I, it's a high percentage it's a high and you know the looks that i get it's don't want to talk know, it's, about it it's like uh it, you know what it is though it's actually as if you're talking to someone who like got kicked in the head by a horse and you're like deeply concerned about their health and future you know it's like that it's like you know, there's like a shock. Are you? Oh okay? no, no, no! Like, and, look, you know, I, I, I yeah. This happened to me again. I, I, I had a ten-year high school reunion. And I was talking to someone about this same, you know, same reaction. And it was, uh, you know, I was like, well, what about you? I mean, where's your? She, she was entirely in bonds. This is a person my age. Her financial advisor put her in bonds. So, oh, you know, oh, look, my, it's all, no. it's all spectrum, and you have to do what makes you that comfortable. That is, that is a crime. Mm. That I'm, I'm, I'm deadly serious. That is a criminal act because that person did that to ensure their maximum payout, right? They're probably in annuities and gigs would make it even worse. You know, you put it in a gig, a guaranteed investment contract, you get paid 3% guaranteed, quote unquote, and they take four for themselves. I mean, the nonsense, look, the whole mutual fund industry and the and the four hundred one k industry is is a scam to transfer money from the fearful and uneducated in terms of investing prowess. I mean, think about it. before nineteen eighty six, all of your pension was managed by professionals. Companies were forced to create pension funds, give you a defined benefit meaning you, you knew how much you were going to get when you retire and they had to manage the money and they had to hire professional teams and do it. And then these mutual fund companies passed a law. They paid a lot of money for it in 1986 to change it to define contribution. And the companies loved it because they saved 
because they could fund 30% less in DC than DB. They could fire their DB teams and you transfer the risk to the uh, employee. <laughs> and now we have this underfunded, the average person in their 401k has yeah. like, you know, $50,000 or maybe it's 200, saying total assets, total $250,000, but to retire. Insanity. And the yeah. idea that a young girl, young woman, not girl, young woman has at 30 years old or 30 something years old has money in bonds is criminal. That is a criminal injustice. I, and I'm, I feel I'm, really strongly about this. I mean, no, so I'm, I'm, I mean, really strongly. I'm with you. Uh, all right, Mark, we got to wrap it there. It's been a really fun right. one. Best hour of my week. I'll see you here same time next all week. Right. See you next week. 